Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of justice and a God of salvation. Uh, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that as you've revealed yourself to us, uh, we would know you. And so we pray now that as we look at your word together, that you would speak to us uh, by your spirit, through your word, uh, and that you would change our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do have a seat. And uh, could you please turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 1, starting a new series in the book of Habakkuk this morning. Habakkuk chapter 1 on page 948. 948, you've got an outline. Um, one of the handouts that you received as you came in. In the middle of that, there's, a, there's, a, there's an outline, so it would be helpful to have that as well. Justice is a great concern in Malaysia today, isn't it? People are sick of corruption. People are sick of unfairness. People want justice. Uh, if you walk past the bar council, you'll see a big sign, Justice for Theo Benghok. Justice for ourselves, we want justice for our children, we want justice for all. The prophet Habakkuk lived in a society where there was much injustice, and in this book, he raises the issue of injustice. He raises it with God. Now, we don't know much about Habakkuk, um, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, so all we have about him is from this book. We know that he was a prophet. God spoke to him, God spoke through him. His prophecy here is called an oracle. Before we actually look at Habakkuk itself, though, let's have a look and try and just see where, where he fits in uh, in the Bible's history. So I'll look at the next slide. Oh, can you see that? Don't worry about it, I think you've got to try this out, okay? Um, strain your eyes if you can. Uh, there we go. Abraham, where are we? Finger, finger, pop. Okay, that doesn't work either. Okay, Abraham at the top there, uh, lives about 2000 BC. Uh, we did a series on Abraham at the beginning of the year. And God made promises to Abraham uh, to give him a land, a people, a nation. Uh, and we see that he has a son Isaac and his son Jacob, also called Israel. Uh, is Jacob has 12 sons, will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And off they end up in Egypt. And they end up in slavery in Egypt. God rescues them out of Egypt in the Exodus. Uh, brings them to Mount Sinai where he gives them the law. They wander in the desert and then he brings them to the promised land. So Joshua is one who brings them to the promised land. Uh, and then they've got judges and the first king is Saul. You've got King David in about 1000 BC. And then you've got his son Solomon who is the height of the Israelite kingdom. Uh, just straight after him. After Solomon, because of Solomon's sin, there's a breakup in the kingdom. The northern kingdom retains the name Israel. The southern kingdom takes the name Judah after the major tribe. Israel itself, well, they're sinful. They get kicked out by God and they go exile uh, to Assyria in 722 BC. And Judah, well, they get exiled for the same reason in 597 and then 587, the major one, uh, BC. They're in exile and then slowly they begin to return. They go back into the land. Uh, they're there for a little while and that's the end of the Old Testament. Where does Habakkuk fit in? Can you press the button for me? Ta-da! Okay. Habakkuk is about there. Okay. So he is here 
before, probably after that, exile to Assyria on that side, uh, he's coming up to before, this time before, the exile uh, to, to, to Babylon. So, uh, we know that he comes before the exile to Babylon because he is predicting it uh, in this book. Right? Uh, probably, we're not sure exactly when it is, most likely during the reign of King Jehoiakim, who was a very ambitious, he was very cruel, uh, he was very corrupt. Uh, but the people he's speaking to, the people of Judah, they are God's people, aren't they? They are the people that God had revealed himself to. Uh, thousand years before, in the Exodus. They were the people who were descended from Abraham, uh, who were part of his, his, his chosen people. At the time of the Exodus, God made a covenant with them through Moses. And part of the covenant was, if they obeyed God, he would bless them in the land. If they disobeyed God, he would curse them and kick them out of the land. You can see it's almost time for them to be kicked out. Happened already to the northern tribes, and it was going to happen to them as well. The problem that Habakkuk faced, though, wasn't that, initially anyway. He faced another question. In fact, the same kind of question that Job asks, maybe more than a thousand years earlier. And the same kind of question that, two and a half thousand years later, we still ask the questions. Because Habakkuk was grappling with the way that God works in the world. He doubted God's fairness and justice. Because all kinds of things were happening around him, which made him say, God, that is not fair. And he'd been struggling with those issues for a long time. Asking God again and again and again, and all he gets back is silence. As if God's not wanting to listen. Uh, the Malays say, Talinga Kuali. You know, you know what Kuali is, right? Kuali is like the big, uh, the big walk, like a big, two big walks when you cut here. I'm listening. Like, like praying to a brick wall. Saying, God, help. Look, look at all these terrible things going on around me. Have a look at verse 2. That's what he says. Oh Lord... How long shall I cry for help? And you will not listen. You will not hear. Or I cry to you, violence, and you do not save. What if anyone here ever feels like that? You feel like you're in this kind of situation that no matter how much you pray, God's not listening. He's got the quality there. I keep crying for help and say, look, this is terrible, terrible, terrible violence. I'm being hurt, I'm being cheated, I'm being violated, and it looks like God doesn't care. And you know how Habakkuk felt then, when he says, How long, how long am I going to cry out like this? How long, O oh Lord, shall I cry for help? How long do I have to put up with all this garbage and not get anything back? Now the good thing with Habakkuk, is that when he faces this problem, he does the right thing with it, doesn't he? He complains to the Almighty God himself. Took the problem to God. Talked to him about it. Even though it felt like he wasn't listening. And that's what we need to do, don't we? We need to take, take our struggles to God in prayer. We need to be honest with him. When we are hurting. When we are questioning. When we are doubting. His goodness, His justice, whatever. 
It's not that questioning God is a good thing, but ignoring him is actually worse, I think. If you're going to struggle with God, and all of us struggle with God from time to time, if you're going to struggle with God, struggle with God with God. Does that make sense? Don't, Don't go away from him when you're in doubt. Keep asking him for help, even when it feels like he's not listening. Be honest about how you feel. There's no point pretending with God. God knows anyway. You can tell him your questions. You can pour out your grievances. You can tell him your complaints. Now, do it respectfully and humbly. Know your place. Do it as creature to creator. As child to heavenly father. Don't presume to judge God. Don't presume to order him around. But you can question him from the heart. You can say, Lord, I'm really struggling with this. Lord, how can you be loving and let this happen? Lord, how can you be just and, and, and let them get away with it? Right? Struggle. If you're going to struggle, then struggle in God's presence. He'll see you through. Habakkuk grappled with his doubts and struggles by taking it to God. And so he asked God these questions that we just read. Including that question, that the question, the one that we grapplers always ask if we dare. The question is, verse 3, why? Why? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly at wrong? Why? Destruction and violence, he says, are before me. Strife and contention arise. See, there's there's injustice and violence and strife all around Habakkuk. His society was, was riddled with it. Even though it's supposed to be God's people. And it's as if God is trying to force Habakkuk to, to look at injustice. God tolerated it, allowed it to continue. Instead of peace and harmony, there's violence and destruction all around the place. People is to getting unrest, stirring up conflict for their own evil purposes. Organized crime and organized government seem to be working together to oppress the people. They seem to get away with it. Wealthy landowners controlled the courts through bribery. The poor had nowhere to go. Not even legal aid. Nowhere to go except to God, who seemed to be ignoring their pleas. Verse 4. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and justice goes forth perverted. Perversion of justice. What a, isn't that a terrible state of affairs? Yet it's not unusual in our world, is it? It's a state of affairs that's actually pretty common. In many parts of the world today, the rich and the powerful oppress the poor. Where the poor man has no access to justice. Where the law courts, which are meant to be there as an avenue for the oppressed to seek justice, they're just a tool in the hands of the powerful. Keep the poor in check. Where justice is for sale. Available to those who can afford it. 
Where the wicked oppress the righteous and justice is perverse. The perversion of justice is a common story. It takes many different forms, but it's a story that makes us cry out. That is not fair. That is not happens on a big scale in various societies, happens in a small scale on lots of places. I'm sure it happens to you. Boss that doesn't treat you properly, because you've got no recourse because well he's writing your performance appraisal. Complain, you're going to get a bad report. The government officer won't give you what you're due unless you pay him some money under the table. And you say, I can't do that. It's going to happen to justice. person who falsely accuses you of something. Now the rumors are all flying around. You know they're not true, but how are you going to defend yourself? We hate it when we're oppressed, don't we? Make sure we're not on the other side of that, huh? Don't be one of the oppressors. Make sure if you're the boss, make sure you treat the people under you properly. If you're the one meant to be giving justice, make sure you do it. Make sure you look after your mates. The story of injustice is bad news wherever and whenever we meet it in the world. And it's even worse here. Why? Because these guys are the, the people of God. They had been slaves in Egypt a thousand years before. They were the ones oppressed. And what, God rescued them out of Egypt. Rescued them through Moses. Made them his people. Made a covenant with them. They will be his people. He will be their God. Give them the land of Israel where they can live under his loving rule. Give them the law to show them how to live under him justly. And they didn't obey him. And time and time again he sent the prophets to point them back to the covenant. But they kept on going away. Kept on exchanging the worship of God for the worship of idols. Or just as bad, try to mix the two. Walked in all kinds of immorality. And they oppressed the powerless, the very thing the Lord told them not to do. They ignored the law God gave them. They broke their covenant with him. The injustice is bad wherever you meet it. But it is worse when you meet it among the people who are meant to be the people of God. Now, of course, we know from the New Testament, that not all Israel is Israel. That is not everyone who is part of the nation, whereas the people of God are actually the true people of God. But, still, you'd expect better, wouldn't you? You'd expect better. They're not living up to their God, the God of justice. I wonder if you've ever been affected by injustice at church. I wonder if you've been Hurt by someone who is meant to be one of God's people? Maybe is. Maybe even a leader among God's people. And you feel like you can do nothing about it. And you wonder, where is God when his own people do the kind of things that the pagans would be ashamed of? In the West, the last five or so years, maybe a little bit more, 
there's been an uncovering of a whole lot of child sexual abuse by a handful of church workers. What they did was absolutely despicable. Misuse the trust that's put in them for their own selfish pleasure and bring suffering to the lives of other people. And they ought to be punished. That is just. Not only should they be punished, because justice demands it, they should be exposed, disqualified from public ministry, barred from contact with children ever again. But you know, back in those days, when those things were happening, some church leaders didn't see it that way. They are more concerned with protecting the good name of the denomination than giving justice to the oppressed. More concerned to hush things up and avoid a scandal than to prevent the perverts from striking again. More worried about denominational coffers than about truth and justice and righteousness among the people of God. More concerned with the name of the church than the glory of God. So when these people commit a crime, what do they do? They hush it up. What do you do with someone who does these kind of things? You just transfer them somewhere else. Transfer them. Do it there. People complain, transfer somewhere else. So you do it there, people complain, transfer somewhere else. They're rubbish. How do you feel if you're one of the victims who finally get the courage to speak up and then you're told to shut up? How do you feel if one of those who's done terrible things you see walking around scot-free pretending to be a so-called holy man? This is what you say. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not say, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you either look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk's praying for justice. And the very next verse, God starts to answer his prayer. God tells him, that he is the judge. It looked like he's out of control. Actually, he's in control of all the nations. And he's going to tell Habakkuk, watch and see what I'm going to do. Verse 5. God says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if you were told. God is going to act. In Habakkuk's lifetime. He's going to do something that Habakkuk wouldn't even, wouldn't be dreaming of. You know what God's going to do? He's going to settle this problem of injustice. He's going to come to his people in a fury of judgment. God is going to raise up an army who's going to march across the known world, conquer kings and nations, and come and be his instrument of judgment against his own people. Verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, right? 
that bitter and hasty nation who marched from the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. See, what's the picture you're getting here? Big, strong, bitter, march through the nations. Take over. Take over. These are not godly people. These are not holy people waging holy war or anything like that to bring holy justice. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. These are ruthless, bitter, reckless, violent people. They're there for the gain. Sometimes people think God can't use people unless they're clean and holy. No, no, God is bigger than that. God even uses the wicked to carry out his plans. And these guys, they were wicked. Look how God describes them in verse 7. They are dreaded and fearsome. You're meant to be scared when you think about these guys. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. You see, they're not following God's justice. They've got their own. Not seeking God's glory. Seeking their own. Don't fear God. They're arrogant. They act independent from God. Judah is going to get a taste of her own medicine because they treated the oppressed as if God's laws doesn't apply. They're going to be treated the same way by these Babylonians who are going to come. The powerful Jews attacked the powerless and now they're going to be attacked by this mighty oppressor. Verse 8 and 9. Look at the picture language there. As you think about these Babylonians. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're fast. They're more fierce than the evening wolves. Scared. Pressed proudly on. Arrogant. Their horsemen come from afar. They've got reach, man. Fly like an evil swift to devour. They're quick. They come for violence. Their faces are forward. Determined. They gather captives like sand. You know how easy it is to get sand? They just come and take their captives. Big, powerful, scary, wicked, and they're coming to get you. They do, at kings they scoff. Verse 10. Obstacles, other rulers, other countries. Sup, sup, sir, yeah. Pow, walk through. They laugh at every fortress. Not scared of the big walls. They pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Destroy, take captives, go to the next country. Destroy, take captives, go to the next country. You see them coming, 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 coming for you. They are guilty men whose might is their God. These guys are no angels. Guilty of heinous war crimes. Guilty of failing to acknowledge God. 